All right, well, 1 Corinthians 8 is where we're going to be today. We're in a series, and the title of this series is Called Out. We're called out of darkness, if we know Jesus, into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And we've been working through 1 Corinthians chapter by chapter. So this is part eight. We're going to be in the eighth chapter. And Paul is going to be addressing a topic today that we're going to spend quite a bit of time on in the next few weeks. As a matter of fact, he's going to talk about this topic in chapter 8, in chapter 9, and in chapter 10. That's right. And are you ready to hear what the topic is going to be? Are you sitting down for this? I know you are sitting down for this. It's meat offered to idols. Now, I know before I lose some of you, before you mentally check out, I know that's not an issue anymore. It's pretty much a non-issue in today's day and age, right? We don't have to really doubt or debate, should I eat this meat that's been offered to an idol? But beyond just that simple, that, that simple truth, there is a principle behind what Paul is saying. And his principle that he's going to spend all this time on is very important, very relevant for us today. It's such a hot-button issue back then, and really, when you get past just the specific and you get into the principle, it's a hot, relevant issue today, too, because Christians have differing opinions on standards and convictions. So this is what we're going to see. Limiting your liberty shows the love of Jesus. Limiting your liberty shows the love of Jesus. And I know some of us are already like, oh, great. Here we go again. Sounds so un-American to limit my liberty. I'm already, I'm already a little offended, David. Where are we going with this? Um, but can does not always equal should. And this is such an important topic because it's such a misunderstood topic. It really is. There are so many people who get on Facebook and they debate on a post or they get into the Twitterverse, or they have a conversation at a dinner party, and they just don't see eye to eye, and they don't line up. And honestly, they're confused. Well, should I do this, or should I not do this? Like, what do I need to do? I don't want to offend anybody, but I also want to be myself and be who I am in Jesus Christ. And at the heart of this confusion, people don't see how life-giving this truth can be and how mentally freeing this truth can be. I was confused about this passage for a really, really long time because 1 Corinthians talks about it, Romans talks about it, and most of my life I was like, well, wow, there's people who have higher standards than me. We also have these higher standards than compared to other people, and what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to interact with my brothers and sisters in Christ? I want to show them love, but I didn't really know how to do it. And this week I was driving in my car on E for way too long. Has anyone ever been there where they're just like, just pushing it to the limits and it's been on E for like a day and a half and you're like on the interstate and you don't know if you're going to make it to a gas station in time and you finally coast into that gas station and you fill it up and you just feel a sense of peace. That's what I felt when I actually finally understood this truth and it clicked for me. So I want that for you today as well. And yeah, you're, you're still like, well, David, three weeks on limiting your liberty? Three weeks, really? Is Paul going to seriously take three weeks on this? It's such an important topic he does, but to give you a little preview, this week in chapter 8, Paul's taking the emphasis of limiting your liberty for the sake of your brothers and sister in Christ. In reach. This is how you minister to those who you rub shoulders with and also love Jesus. In chapter 9, it's limiting your liberty in the sense of outreach, how we impact and affect those people who don't know Jesus Christ. 
And then in chapter 10, it's vertical. It's upreach. It's how this principle affects our relation with God. So he's going to take a different angle at it every single time. Every time we're going to see that you limit your liberty and you're going to show the love of Jesus. It's such a powerful, freeing thing. So are you ready for this? Can you say let's go? Let's go. All right. Verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no that there is no God but one. For although there be there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So the first point here today, as we go through this, is so foundational. The first point is graciously hold your positions with love. So key that we have that starting point right there. Graciously hold your position. Whatever your standard, whatever your conviction is, whatever the Holy Spirit has led you to do, you need to graciously hold that with the viewpoint of how can this lovingly build up my brother or sister in Christ. When he says, we know, we know that all of us possess knowledge, Paul is saying, I know you have a position. We all have a position. I know that you know that you have a stand on this. You have a stance. And everyone in Corinth was dealing with, this was their hot button issue of the day, right? For us, it's different, different things. We're going to get to that. But in Corinth, it was, well, I have a position on whether or not I should eat this meat offered to idols. And we've talked a lot about Corinth, and for, we have some new people here today, which is amazing. Corinth was a, an incredibly immoral pagan society. They had, this, they had this temple, all right, to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of pleasure and love and beauty. There were prostitutes in this temple. There was just a dark place. This temple was destroyed, and then it was rebuilt. There was thousands of people who worshipped in this temple daily. And this temple and all these pagan temples in Corinth, they had like dining halls built right in, okay? Kind of like you go to the buffet and you have like a little private screening room where you can have your birthday party. They had those 
they had those rooms built into those 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 temples where they would just eat the meat that was offered to the idols. So some of these Christians in Corinth, they've been saved by the grace of God. They have a new life in Jesus Christ. They're walking down the street. They're walking past the, the temple to Aphrodite, and they see Aeneas and Zoe walking out. And it's like, I just saw them on Sunday morning celebrating Jesus Christ's resurrection. Now they're walking out of this temple. They're confused. What's going on? What should I go? What, what? They're just, they didn't know what to do. And so this was the issue for them. How do I handle this? And Paul has to address this. This is one of the things they asked Paul about. And Paul's principle here is just as relevant for us today. It really is. Um, the first thing he says there, though, in verse 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know what he ought to know. Basically, he's saying, if you think you have the corner on truth, if you think you have this all figured out, you don't really know enough. You're not looking at it the right way. because. Different people, different situations require a different response. And the Holy Spirit leads different people in different ways. Everybody's on a different path on their journey towards Christ. This issue, like many issues that you and I face today, isn't a simple black and white. It could be a stumbling block if you push someone else into sin. And the easy thing to do is just to slap a sin label on someone. This is like the natural thing that we always tend to do just because it's easier. It's like, okay, gambling is wrong. Don't go to poker with the boys. Slap that sin, sin label on it, right? Um, we always want to know, like, you know, how, how much is too much to show my, uh, how much is too much, right? Like, can I drink alcohol or should I not? Like, this either is it sin or not sin. We want to make it a black and white, simple yes or no thing, but that's not what we have here in Scripture because, Different people are at different places in their walks with Christ. So, Paul says, before he even gets into the specifics, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. The caution here is to never use your knowledge, and maybe you have a greater understanding of the situation than your brother and your sister in Christ, but to never use your knowledge to hurt someone else. You may be thinking, well, David, how in the world is my knowledge of the Bible ever going to hurt someone else? That doesn't really make sense to me. Well, think about it this way. If you have knowledge, if you have a greater understanding of Scripture, if you have a deep walk with Christ, the temptation is always going to be at that point to have a swollen head and to be puffed up and to have pride. And if you have pride, what happens? You walk over people run over people. You, you don't show patience. Um, you're not serving others. You come across as condemning. And none of that builds up the other person. Pride is always in opposition to pouring out your life for someone else and building them up. So before we even get into this nitty gritty, Paul is saying, look, don't worry so much about being right. Don't elevate your position so high that you miss the point. And the point is to love, to love like Jesus Christ. The world should know you by your love for one another. We are called to glorify God with our lives by showing the love of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, another little preview here. Uh, couldn't say this any better. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues 
of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away, all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, don't get me wrong here. Ignorance is not a virtue. We're always, we're always told in Scripture to pursue Jesus Christ. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's very important that we grow in our knowledge and in the grace of what God has done for us, for sure. But we can't elevate it to the point where that's our trump card and that's what we label as our identity. This isn't about checking your brain at the door and operating with a feel-good sentiment of, uh, of just like, hey, let's love everybody and encourage everybody and just bring everybody along and miss truth. No, the world needs you to love them. The, Lord, the world needs truth, but they need truth in love. Not just the cold, hard facts, but truth in love. So verse 3, if you see that one again, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That's the perfect tense for a passive verb, is known by God. God is the initiator and the pursuer of that relationship. And what is, what is the way that we can overcome pride? How do we feat, defeat pride and get past pride? Well, you humbly look at this truth right here. God is the one who saved me by his grace. I was far from God, but God chose me. God loved me. He made a way for me when there was none by sending Jesus Christ into this earth. We can't be prideful when we put all the focus and all the glory back on Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. That is humbling. And God's grace turns us into people who love people who are different than us. It turns us into people who love people who are unlovely. And that's the beautiful thing about walking with God and knowing Jesus Christ. And when we love God, we are known by God. You see that there too in these first three verses. Known by God. You're not just a name and a number. He knows your story. He knows exactly who you are and what your gifts and your talents are. And he has specifically gifted you. And he has a plan and a purpose specifically for you. If that's not humbling, I don't know what is. So this is our first point. Graciously hold your positions with love. In our life groups, we gather around food. We have an applicational discussion about the passage that we're in. So this week we'll be talking about 1 Corinthians 8. And one of the awesome things that we do is, is a breakout time where the men get with the men, the women with the women. And we ask for accountability and we pray. In our life group this Tuesday night, the men just got real, okay? And we were talking about fighting and arguments that we had. And one of the things that we just brought up was you can be right, but you can be right in the wrong way. Follow me on that? You, you, can, you can actually have the correct position. You can be offended by somebody, and you can try to point that out to them, and you can continue to point that out to them and continue to say that in like 10 different ways, and then you, your tone gets sharper and sharper and sharper. And, and raise your hand if you've been there. You're like, this person's just being a jerk, and even though I know I'm wrong, I don't really want to listen to what they're saying, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
you can be right the wrong way. And when this, when we talk about this principle of limiting your liberty, before we even get there, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Don't hold your position so strongly that you're running over people. Encourage them in Christ. That's the important thing, to graciously hold your positions with love. Instead of shouting all of your crafty wisdom, show some love. Be gracious. Take a step back. Put yourself in the other person's position. As my wife Julie would say, listen. <laughs> listen a little bit and stop talking. And you can do the same thing in parenting. I mean, I, I noticed that this week. It's like I'm so frustrated at my, my two boys for being little hooligans that I come down so hard on them. It's like that's not going to help, right? You can say what you need to say the correct way, and it makes all the difference. All right, now we can talk about some of the nitty-gritty details. Verse 4, verse 4 through 6, and this is where we see our second point. The second point today is be strengthened in the liberty that Christ gives you. This is really, really where it starts to get good. We have liberty through Jesus Christ that he gives us. Um, look at verse 4. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. One Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we exist. God and Jesus are equal. And in 1 Corinthians 10, you know, we're still going to be talking about this in like two, two weeks from now. But in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul also says that these idols are actually representations of demons. Okay, so when you see here these little G gods and, and lords, these are, these are false gods who are really just demons. And the idol really is nothing. Okay, it's just a representation of a demon. It has, this idol has no power. Okay, this idol is not tainting the meat. This meat isn't now going to just make you sick because it was offered to an idol. No, the meat is neutral. The meat is okay. You have freedom in Christ to eat the meat. Have at it. Enjoy your liberty in Christ. There is nothing wrong with the fact that this meat came, even though it came from a very dark and perverted and gross place. All right? The Temple of Aphrodite was not a place that you need to go. But the, the meat is still fine. Super important that we get that. Um, idols are empty. They can't do anything to hurt you, right? We're there. We can't move forward until we get that. You have liberty in Christ. And this is where I would want to just pause for a second and say, we have to stop again thinking about sin in terms of black and white, this inanimate object is. No, an like a beverage is not sin. A weed is not in and of itself sin. Um, an article of clothing in and of itself is not sin. Okay? That's not the way we see sin outlined in Scripture. Sin, um, for our modern day, a lot of times we think of sin as, you know, an inconvenience or a downfall, maybe a fault, maybe a mistake. It's something that can just be ironed out over time. In the Greco-Roman world at this time, they looked at sin more as a frustration thing. Um, 
they're, they looked at it as like basically an archer taking a bow and missing the mark. And it was frustration. It was a problem. But you know what? You practice hard. You get over it. You'll get better at it. And eventually you'll overcome. Sin is an affront to God. It's way more big of a deal. It's way bigger of a deal than we often make it out to be. Anything that is in opposition to God's character, his truth, his justice, his holiness, his mercy, his loving kindness, anything, any attitude or spirit that is in opposition to that is sin. Anything that goes against God's way and God's plan that he has set and ordained for us is harmful to us. Because when God makes a rule, it's there to protect us. And when we're in opposition to God's plan and God's character, we are adventuring into something that is sin. So it's an issue of the heart. So stop thinking of it as, an, as a beverage or an article of clothing or an idea or a place. None of those things are sin. They're not inanimate objects. It's the heart's desire and direction, either away from God or towards God, that makes anything either a sin or not a sin. And can we save ourselves? Can we just work out our sin and figure it all out? No, we cannot. Jesus died for our sin. The only way that we can receive freedom and enjoy liberty is because Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and for me because he loves us. That's how, how serious sin is. So we need to enjoy our new liberty that is found in Jesus this freedom from sin that we have through Jesus Christ, be strengthened in the liberty that he gives you. And look at verse six. God created all things. We are made for God. We are made in his image. To be an image bearer of the likeness of God means that when we get out there in our nine to fives, when we get out there in school, when we get out there um, and do our hobby and just and play basketball with people, whatever we're doing, we have the opportunity to show the characteristics of God. That's his glory. Any, anything that we do that shows his love, his justice, his mercy, you name it, go on and on, all of his characteristics, when we show those in our lives, we're showing God's glory, we're glorifying God, and that's what he has called us to do. That's, that is our mission on earth as believers. Be strengthened the liberty that Christ gives you. You have intellect, you have a will, you were created to provide and to love the world and the people in it. All these things are amazing. We see that right here. If uh, to, to illustrate this, has anyone ever been on like a scavenger hunt, a really awesome scavenger hunt? Okay, a few of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love scavenger hunts probably too much. I'm a little weird that way. I was youth pastor for a long time. I'm kind of like if you've ever seen Ron Swanson. You just love clues and and, and, and really deep, like, uh, trivia that figure out problems and solve these riddles. Like, I love that. And when I was a youth pastor, I would always make the most elaborate scavenger hunts. I mean, we're talking, like, NBA 90s basketball history knowledge was required. Like, you guys know stuff about It's a Wonderful Life movie, a trivia. I would sprinkle in all these really elaborate clues for the scavenger hunts. Really too much. People hate me for it. But a lot of times, we almost live our Christian life like it's this giant scavenger hunt, and we're like glued to this piece of paper. What does the pastor say? What does my friend say? What does my mom and dad say? And, and, we, and we're like, we're so consumed with all these other people. What do they think? What do they say that we miss? We have liberty in Christ. 
If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and he is leading you and pushing you forward. So we don't need to like stress about dotting all of our I's and crossing all of our T's and making sure we get everything just right. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Enjoy the liberty that Christ gives you and love others. Love others. Just like in the first point, first point, the, the, the warning was don't let knowledge turn you into this prideful person and puff you up. This next one is, hey, enjoy the liberty that Christ gives you, but do it out of love. Because you can also easily abuse this liberty that you have in Christ. And this is where he's going to start getting into the serious side of it. You can, you can take all the freedom you have and you can just elevate that so high that you abuse it and you almost hurt other people around you too who are in a weaker place, who are in a different place spiritually than you are. Don't get me wrong. We have to be people of the book. This is the Bible right here. This is God's word. This is eternal truth. This never changes. This is everything we need to know. And we should study it. and We should learn from it. Absolutely. But when you boil it down, right now in the New Testament church age of grace, we have two rules to follow above all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then in all these gray areas, you have liberty in Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Don't get stifled because you were trying to please people. That's what I'm saying. Enjoy the gifts that Christ has given you. Don't let your nose get stuck in a man-made rule book. Follow the Bible. The Holy Spirit's leading. All right, now we're going to move on to point three. Um, right before we get there, though, I would have to say Paul does bring this full circle to Jesus Christ right here. Freedom is from Jesus, and our freedom should be guided by love, just like it was with Jesus Christ. Remember that. You can write that one down, right? Our freedom is from Jesus, and it should be guided by love. What did Jesus do? He sacrificed his life on the cross. He died for you and for me. Thrive in your freedom. Be strengthened. Everything up to this point now, all the way, we're all the way up to verse 7 now, everything, again, has leading up to this main point of limiting your liberty for the love of Jesus, to show the love of Jesus. And this is where, really, the rubber meets the road. Now we're really going to get into the tricky part that gets confusing for people. So point number three is caution. Limit your liberty for the conscience of weaker brothers and Cautiously limit your liberty for the conscience of weaker brothers and sisters. Uh, verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And we just saw the liberty, right? We just saw that point. It was just nailed down for us. And if you look in Scripture, all over Scripture, we see the freedom that we have in Christ. It's everywhere. But here we see... Limit your liberty. Uh, Galatians 5 is a great passage that talks about our, limit, our liberty and our freedom in Christ. Uh, Galatians 5.1, I have it up here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And then later on in that chapter, 
Paul says to the Galatians, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Doesn't this sound kind of familiar? But through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have that. We have our liberty. And now we, in, in 1 Corinthians, are, say, are, are being told, limit your liberty. What's the difference? Why is this so different? In Galatians, Paul was hammering legalism. There was legalists in the church, and it was a huge problem. In Corinth, we have a different problem. We have a lot of baby Christians who the Bible calls here weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, who they came to Jesus Christ, and they have a lot of baggage because they came out of some very addictive lifestyles. All right? So the emphasis is different because the situation is different, just like it is with you and me, right? Just like it is with our friends and our coworkers and even sometimes our family members. We can all understand that some of us have a past that some of us just have never experienced, right? Symbols mean something. Experiences mean something. And for some people, you're saved out of a lifestyle that was just recklessly about yourself and having fun. And now you look at alcohol and you remember and, it, and, you, and you have, you're triggered with all those past experiences. That's just one example. Maybe, maybe a lady in this room, I mean, you... You know your heart back in the 90s, and you know exactly why you wore that miniskirt in the 90s. You were trying to lure people and entice people, and now things have changed. And now maybe your daughter, now maybe some your other friend at church doesn't really have the same experiences, and they don't look at it the same way. Everyone has a different story that creates a different outlook on some of these principles. All right? But the weaker brother is either a new convert who's still tempted, and still prone to fall into sin, or maybe the weaker brother could also be a person who's grown up in the church, but they misunderstood a, a particular teaching. Maybe there was an overemphasis. Maybe there was a lack of balance in a certain area, and they have a very sensitive conscience about something else. It always goes back to, I'm going to show some love to this person because I don't want them to fall back and some of us honestly just have sensitive consciences, okay? Some people have more sensitive consciences than the other person. I, uh, I have a little theory I just crafted this week about sensitive consciences. Are you ready for this? It's called the Mexican Restaurant Sensitivity Test, okay? And follow me on this. Because everybody's different. They really are. Um, you have three types of people who go to a Mexican restaurant. You know, you know the classic Mexican restaurant, right? You got this menu like 87 options of tacos and burritos in front of you, the trifold just blowing you away. You're trying to, trying to figure out where's the chalupa, um, where's, the, where's the chimichanga or something. All right, well, the first type of person that goes to a Mexican restaurant is a person who has a very sensitive conscience. They're like, I don't know, man. We should, don't, don't ask the waiter for another bowl of salsa. We're eating too many of these three chips. Like, oh, my word, somebody please order a sweet tea because we don't want to all order water. They're going to hate us because we're not going to give them a good tip. Like, they're just the ultra-sensitive person, right? You know, I, you know who I'm talking about? Then you have, number two, the person who is like, we'll play balance. 
all right? It's like, hey, we chose this restaurant because my kids are crazy, and they can just eat as many chips and salsa as they want to, and that's like a free kid's meal, so we'll take that. And then we can split the fajitas and share that, and it's like economical, and this is good, and you know, you're taking advantage of the system that it provides you, and it's a win-win, it's right? That's number two. And then you got number three. This person has no conscience, okay? They, uh, they order water. They make sure they get a whole bunch of packets of sugar in the raw. They ask for a bowl of lemons. They make their own lemonade. They, uh, you know, they do everything number two did, but they also, like, ask for it to go bad and take the chips home with them and salsa. You know what I'm saying? Like, hopefully, hopefully that's not you. Maybe you're a two and a half. That would be good. Two and a half is a good spot to be. Uh, but anyway, everybody is different when it comes to the sensitivity on issues, right? Some people just really like to make sure everybody's happy and content and please everybody. Some people just don't care. They're comfortable in their own skin and like, I'm gonna be who I'm called to be by God's grace and I'm gonna go forward. We're all different in this. This is where we get confused and this is where we have to nail it down and just break down what is Paul actually saying. Who do I need to worry about? Who do I need, who do I need to be concerned about? How can you limit your liberty and love someone and still be who God has called you to be? Because you can definitely go too far in this, in this point. You really can. I mean, there's always going to be someone who has a stronger, stricter standard than you have. I don't even care how strong your standards are. And if you have strong convictions that are from the Holy Spirit, praise God, that's awesome. We're never going to down that. But there's always going to be somebody. I don't care who you are who has a more strict standard. So if you're going to really, and I know you can't follow that because it's impossible, right? If we're going to really carry that out and be consistent by not offending anybody who has a, has a stronger conscience, then we would all have to wear burlap sacks and we could never go out to eat anywhere. That's really the truth of the matter. So that can't be the way we make our decisions. It just can't be. We have to make our decisions based on, is this person, this is the question you have to ask, the right question to ask, will this person, fall into sin. There is a better way, and the principle is not meant to enslave you. It's meant to give you freedom. The two types of Christians, right? Strong and weak. The strong, to classify the strong Christian, this is the person who knows Jesus. They're led by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they know they have this freedom. They know they have their liberty. And strong on strong, when you're hanging out with another strong Christian, hey, do what the Lord has allowed you to do. You're free to do that. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. But if you're a strong Christian and you're hanging around a weak Christian, somebody who has struggled with a past lifestyle, somebody who really is confused about something and they're tempted to fall into sin, that's when you exercise a little bit of caution. Again, it's not the person who has the higher standard and whereby they try to control you and tell you what you need to do. As a matter of fact, if somebody says, hey, don't do that because... I don't think that's right. You would offend me. If they're, if they're claiming that, if they're pointing out 1 Corinthians 8, let me just tell you, they're not the weaker brother, okay? If they know their Bible good enough, like they're not the person. That's, if they're holding their standard over you, they're being a legalist, okay? And we're not to worry about legalists. If somebody is being legalistic about their position, this passage has nothing to say about that. It, as a matter of fact, it does. It says, enjoy your liberty in Christ. It's, it's not wrong to do this, so you can do this. The only time you limit your liberty and be cautious is if another person would be tempted to fall back into sin, if you would be a stumbling block to them. 
this is not conforming and pleasing others who have stricter convictions. This is loving the weaker brother and lifting them up. The question you should be asking is, would I be tempted to fall into sin and destroy their confidence? That's the question you should ask yourself. Paul could have appealed to sacrifice for the sake of the ministry. He could have appealed to sacrifice for unity. He could have said, hey, let's just sacrifice for fellowship's sake so everybody can just get along. He never appealed to any of those other things. He only says, does it offend the other person's conscience and cause them to sin? Rightly understood, this principle is loving and uplifting and also freeing. It's I don't need to worry about offending other people who have a higher standard than me or a different position than me. We should, If we're both strong Christians, we should agree to disagree and enjoy our freedom in Christ and love each other. The only person I'm concerned about is that weaker brother who's very impressionable could literally fall back into sin. I heard a good preacher just this week as I was studying this passage, and he was talking about this. And he said that limiting your liberty, this is a bad example, limiting your liberty, you should consider the right to own a gun. And maybe you should limit that right, that liberty that you have to own a gun. Well, why, why is that not what Paul is talking about in this chapter? This is a review question. Why, why is that not right? Well, if you really think that your weaker brother is going to be tempted to take a gun and go out there and shoot other people, then he probably has other problems that you should be working on with him, right? But if that neutral object is something that is not going to cause that person to sin, then you don't need to limit your liberty in that area. Gun ownership will not be the catalyst to push them over the edge, so therefore, that's a non-issue. What are some issues, though? Some issues that we have to consider and think about. We'll, we'll talk about these things. Alcohol is a big one. The way you dress is a really big one. Um, and, not, and not the sense of like, oh, I can't wear a pair of shorts because I'll cause my brother to stumble. No. It's, it's, remember, it's not that at all. It's how does this affect the other person's spirit and their condition and their heart. Would, would my, um, my choice of words want to decide to talk about what I, what I, how I use my phone on social media, like how I, how I um, interact with people, is it, is it pushing them to defile their conscience? Or is it going to just uplift that person? Every time Paul points back to Jesus Christ, because it's a horrible thing to lead someone away from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for their sin. We don't want them to stumble back into that sin. The question is not, will everyone agree and be happy? That's not the question. There's always going to be somebody who has a different opinion, a different position. The question is, would this defile my brother or sister and push them into sin? What you need to be concerned about is loving like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. Careless jokes. Perceived materialism, just just how you use your phone and, and those kind of things, yeah, those can affect people. They can push people into depression, anxiety. That would be that would be rough. That's that's something we need to elevate. But don't worry about the fact that your brother or sister has a different opinion and a different stance. 
standard is different. Their, their conscience is different. That's fine. That's great. You only limit your liberty for the sake of building them up in love, not for trying to please everyone. Limit your liberty to show the love of Jesus. Jesus chose to love, and that's what we're called to do. You can all stand up. I'm going to do a few things today as a closing time. I want us to examine our hearts. And we need to take our offering. So we're going to take a couple offerings. One of them is the standard offering. And the men can come forward. Just men and ladies can come forward, the ones who are taking the offering. But I also want to do something a little different today. And it's called a Philadelphia offering, okay? Philadelphia is brotherly love, right? We know that. And we're going to think about our brothers and sisters. Is there something that you can in your life perhaps limit? Is there something that you need to kind of set aside? Maybe not overall, maybe not at all times, but maybe there's somebody in your life who is struggling with an issue. Maybe it is depression. Maybe it is alcohol abuse. Maybe it is maybe it's just how they use their phone and maybe it's how they interact with other people and it's pushing them into sin. Is there anything that you could give up as a Philadelphia offering for that individual to lovingly show that individual the love of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray in a second. And as the offering plate goes by, if you want to just take your connection card, take a piece of paper, jot something down, throw it in the offering plate, be my guest, do that. Offer that up to God. Or if you want to just pray about it, offer that up to God in prayer. That'd be great. We're going to take our regular offering as well at this time, and we're going to give back to our to our good, good Father, who is our provider, who owns all that we have. And the other thing I want to invite you to do today is maybe I'm talking about this, and you're, I mean, this is so centered towards Christians. We've been talking about the love of Jesus, how he sacrificed for us. And you're here today, and you're like, well, I don't live for Jesus, and I don't even know Jesus Christ. Maybe today would be the day that you would make that faith decision and turn away from doing your thing, your passions, living your life, and turn to Jesus Christ and give your heart over to him and your desires back to him. And if you would like to do that today, you could just step in the back. and We have people back there that would love to talk with you about the best best move you would ever, ever possibly make and it's giving your life to Jesus Christ.